Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. There's various things that have a pull on this election. It's very close. We've got two formal rivals. It's post-pandemic. We're, are we seeing a new kind of politics? We're also seeing something that the the federal conservatives are being challenged with. How do you keep, can you keep the base and then drag new people over and have them check it off? So a lot of things are being tested here. Lisa Lisa Young joining us live, political scientist at the University of Calgary. Good afternoon, Lisa. Hello. It is intriguing, isn't it, for all those things? It's, you know, elections matter. We know that. But this one's quite exciting here. How is the factor that it's so close playing into this? Well, I think, you know, this makes it interesting to watch for people elsewhere in the country and certainly for those of us who are living through it. These two parties have been neck and neck for the last two or three months in the polls. And I think lots of us expected something to shift, one of the parties to to get momentum. It was hard to know which one, but the polls aren't budging. And so it's this really unusual thing where we have, for the popular vote, two parties basically in a statistical tie in almost all of the polls that we see. And, uh, you know, and, and only three weeks left to go in the election campaign. It is. It could be a nail biter. And as I said, a test. And and you bring up very correctly, the polls are not budging. However, the people seem to be budging and really including uh, Daniel Smith coming and pushing away some of the things that she actually ran on to get this gig, the Sovereignty Act, and kind of heaving them off the side of the ship as she comes into harbor here for the election. Lisa, we, we always wondered that during the, the leadership campaign. Political watchers, can you run on that? Will that work? What do you make of this tossing things over the edge right now? Yeah, it, it's really interesting to see. So for people who haven't been following Alberta politics closely for the last uh, year, Danielle Smith ran for the UCP leadership on a platform that was basically about um, redressing what she saw as the wrongs of COVID. Um, mm-hmm. She wanted to pardon uh, people who had been uh, uh, charged with offenses uh, for protesting against the, um, the the COVID restrictions. She wanted to um, make sure that there would never be a vaccination mandate in Alberta again. And she ran on her Sovereignty Act. And so We've seen very little. She's had to distance herself from a lot of uh, her positions around COVID. And um, she she did pass a Sovereignty Act, but it was a much less radical piece of legislation than what she had been talking about during the campaign. And now um, during the, the election campaign, she doesn't really want to talk about either of those things. Instead, she's trying to change the subject and talk about lowering taxes, and uh, all of the spending that uh, her government has done over the last few months in the lead up to the election. All right. You know, it's tough. Again, one of the reasons this is fascinating, you bet, uh, the the conservatives uh, are watching this in Ottawa. Pierre Polyev, what do you do? How much do you have to feed the base? And how do you get those people that are going to 
push you over, as you you said so correctly, as we began, it's very close. The only way to break it is to get new people to join you. However, you know, we ask a question here, don't we, Lisa? Well, what are we voting for? You just said, push it off. Then people may be left with a question. What am I buying when I when I take off that name? Yeah, I think there are certainly some questions here. And um, yesterday, Danielle Smith said that she, you know, she wasn't going to take a stand on some controversial issues. One of them is whether there should be a new Alberta pension plan that would take Alberta out of the Canada pension plan. And this is an idea that is very popular with her base but isn't popular with the electorate and is considered to be quite frightening by many people. And so she doesn't want to talk about any of this until after the election. So the question here is, can you get away with this? Can you change the channel? Mm -hmm. Can you say, oh, no, the election is no time to talk about, you know, major political issues like that. We'll, We'll deal with it later. And, you know, she may well uh, be able to get away with this, Um, in part, I think, because among some of those centrist voters, there's perhaps a reluctance to vote for the NDP. And that is really the only viable alternative vote for those uh, voters. It is. She also wants uh, to replace the RCMP and doesn't want to talk about it. And you're right. I mean, there there may be a reluctance there, but we're also seeing the pond that they're fishing out of and they're going for the same, the undecided, those who would swing back and forth. So accommodations have to be made here, Lisa. And then we'll we'll also see, as I said, it could be a test. What does the base want? Do they want full flat, full fat Daniel Smith or will they take it light? Yeah. And I think, you know, at the moment, what she's doing is keeping the base satisfied by saying to them, essentially, look, you you know, you may not like some of the stances that I'm taking, but this is what I'm doing in order to win the election. Right. And you don't want Rachel Notley to win. So you've got to sort of stick with me, give me some rope and, and let me move to the center and take these stances. I think the question is what happens after the election, does she govern as the the Danielle Smith who has made all of these sort of centrist uh, promises, or does she go back to the the stances that she would have taken in the past and keep the base happy? And one way or another, um, there's going to be a segment of her voters that aren't necessarily going to be happy. It'll be really challenging to to strike a balance in government between the centrist voters and the base that are calling for some pretty dramatic policy changes. We also had the $300 million to the arena deal, and they're not, they don't appear at this point to be getting a bounce out of that. Was that a risk, Lisa? Absolutely. Um, I, I think, you know, that there might have been a sense that, you know, if you want to win Calgary, what you need to do is make sure that there's an arena deal. But I don't think that that reflects a a really nuanced understanding of public opinion in Calgary. And one of the interesting things that we've seen is that there's been criticism, certainly from people who are on the center left, who are probably voting NDP anyways. 
But we've seen some fairly prominent conservative voices uh, talking about the arena deal not being a good deal for Calgary. And um, I think that has maybe blunted any positive impact that the arena deal might have had um, because, you know, Calgary taxpayers will benefit from the provincial contribution, but there's a pretty significant price tag uh, for the city of Calgary for this. And I think that that has uh, raised some questions about the the deal and, uh, and, and maybe taken away any bounce that she might have uh, received from that. All right, Lisa, we have lots of advice and analysis for Daniel Smith. Now let's do Rachel Notley, neck and neck again. One of the exciting things is these people are foes. They've been at it before. If this was a sporting event, we could really lay it on thick of when they'd faced off before and who won and who lost. As certainly we know that Rachel Notley did not take the crown away from Daniel Smith, but she had it for the NDP. And we've got this uh, dynamic foe against foe here, Lisa. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is an unusual situation where Rachel Notley has been Premier of Alberta um, for four years. Um, when her party lost in 2019, she didn't step down. Instead, she said she wanted, you know, another try at this. She wanted a comeback. And um, she has really focused her party over the last four years on building a a party machine in a way that they didn't have um, in Alberta in in the past. And because this election is going to be decided largely in Calgary, there's been a real emphasis on recruiting uh, candidates who've got some prominence in Calgary, in putting organization on the ground and really trying to establish the party as a party of Calgary in a way that it just wasn't um, in prior elections. All right. You know, we've talked about spending a lot and the NDP, of course, like to spend a lot more than Daniel Smith's government does. Well, at least uh, on on paper, (laughs) they all they all start (laughs) flinging it out, don't they, when they want the vote. That that, makes the interesting six months ago. I'm not. Yeah. (laughs) Even though there was those pandemic checks that went out across, we all saw them all across the country. Okay, Lisa, let me ask you, you know, we've got Rachel Notley, we've got inflation kind of easing, but it's on people's minds, I'm sure, as they were crafting messages, especially the NDP here too, really trying to be sensitive to what people are feeling at the cash register. We know Pierre Polyev's really had a lot of success trying to feel the pain here, but inflation is easing here. So the economics of this is is a little bit different. Yeah, and you know, the affordability question has been tricky for the NDP. Um, Smith came in with affordability payments, so, you know, $600 to families for, you know, every child under 18, to seniors, and so money has has been flowing, Um, there's uh, the the fuel tax has been cancelled for a number of months, so they can certainly point to things that they've done. So it puts the NDP a little bit on their, their back foot on the question of affordability. So one of the things that Notley has done is to try to emphasize some of the decisions that the UCP has made over the past four years that have contributed to affordability issues for Albertans. Um, there, there was 
significant deregulation of auto insurance, for example. And so Notley is talking about that and saying, look, uh, under her government, um, there would be regulation and the cost of auto insurance would be frozen or, or scaled back. And there are a number of other issues like that. But certainly, it, it's difficult as the opposition to compete with the government that controls the purse strings in the months leading up to the election. It's always, and also, they can spend more, can't they, this election? The parties can spend more in trying to get people to tick them off on the ballot. Yeah, I, I mean, there has been a lot of government spending, and uh, Alberta has posted uh, some very significant surpluses over the last couple of years because the price of oil has been so high. But one of the things that happened last week that's kind of interesting is that the price of oil went down to the point that um, it, it was below what the budget, the last provincial budget, had assumed. So now spending promises are looking a little less secure than they would have even a week ago because Alberta remains so reliant on uh, natural resource uh, revenues uh, in, in its public spending. Yeah, I meant the actual parties can spend oh, more sorry. on campaigning and everything. I know you sounded a little confused. I don't blame you. Let's go back, though, uh, to the differences here. Another reason why this is so fascinating across the country is here Here we have these two parties kind of acting like each other, one on the right, one on the left. But Rachel Notley doing that delicate dance. I mean, she knows how she did it before. She went on the belly of the beast in many ways, conservative Canada winning Alberta. And, and being able to kind of dive in and represent things that the, the federal NDP party just doesn't. Danielle Smelt doing the same, only appeasing and, and drawing in her base, but then they're both fishing for these middle people. So it's, it's going to be a heck of a tussle. Not a, it's a slim margin who they're going after, but it's going to make or break it. Yeah, there's a pollster, uh, David Coletto from Abacus Data, who talks mm -hmm. about reluctant UCP voters, people who voted uh, UCP in 2019, and they just don't know if they can bring themselves to do it this time around. And these people tend to live in the suburbs. They are more likely to be women than men. They're concerned about affordability. Um, and it's a relatively small group, but both parties are going hard after this vote because that's really all that's left now. Um, pe most pe voters are pretty entrenched in their views. They're either strongly supporting the NDP or they're strongly supporting the UCP, or they dislike the other party so much that they can't believe that anyone would vote for that other party. So there's very few votes really up for grabs here, but both parties are going hard after that group. They're also having to focus a lot on the question of turnout. Um, and there's some question about whether um, people who are not happy with the UCP but can't bring themselves to vote NDP might just choose to stay home. So there's going to be lots of emphasis on voter turnout as we get closer to uh, Election Day. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend.